you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Hello, everyone. Bare Naked Money here and patios reopening in Ontario for the first time in a long time province-wide has made us think about the reopening trade this uh, this week and what that means for the economy, for investment markets, for jobs, for a whole host of different things. So that's what we're focusing on today, Colin, the reopening. You're so excited about the patios on Friday and Saturday. I thought it was important that we give you this outlet to plug yourself into so that you could talk about this unencumbered for half an hour. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride because your enthusiasm, I think, is going to more than carry this episode. Yeah, well, you being a Halifax guy, you've been rubbing it in for basically the last 15 months. So I needed to get a couple jabs in there. We're far behind, but we're, we're going in the right direction anyway. I'll just sit here and take it like a man. So where would you like to begin our expose on the reopening and what it could mean to the world and uh, to the investments? Yeah, well, I'm going to ask you right off the start about the economy. And as businesses reopen, as jobs get restarted for people, people go back to work, people getting normal employment income again, what do you think that means for the economy as a whole? Well, it's going to be a huge adjustment. I mean, anecdotally, I'm hearing all kinds of different stories from clients about their particular industry or job situation from, you know, the fact that a lot of hospitality workers have gone off and found, quote, better jobs or government jobs so that the the restaurants now that they can reopen in some areas are really struggling to find people. And, you know, again, there's some little point of figure and say it's the, the generosity of the governments, but there's also basic economic supply. You know, if you have an opportunity to take your skill set somewhere else, you may do that. So, you know, these disruptions, I think, are, are going to play out and, you know, end up driving the real story, but it's going to be so difficult to really you know, completely understand all the dynamics at play. Uh, and, you know, it's an expectations game. What are people expecting? And, you know, it's we could have really good news, but maybe people were expecting more. And, you know, that's that's going to cause... It's going to be a really tumultuous, to, to use a really big word, uh, time, I think, for individuals, for businesses, and therefore for the overall economy. Yeah, interesting that you use tumultuous... We're probably going to see some ups and downs, some volatility along the way. But I just I think when people hear tumultuous and they're hearing about us talk about markets and finance and all these things, they probably immediately jump to markets and investments and what that means for those types of things. So when you say tumultuous, are you talking about you think markets are going to be really tumultuous and that's going going to be a necessarily negative thing for investments or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? Well, you know us, we're all about the nuance. I mean, there will be soaring, there will be plunging. Uh, those are going to make great headlines in the short term. Uh, but again, a lot of that's going to come back to expectations. Now, typically, short-term volatility provides opportunities for, for investment managers to earn their, earn their keep. You know, and that's you know, part of what our job is, to watch for the market to overreact and do, so to find price dislocation either within a company, within a sector, or within a country, and, you know, try to lean into the wind a little bit. Um, you know, again, as with everything else, no, I'm not sure there's going to be soaring and plunging. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get those headlines. I'm sure there will be headlines that talk about soaring and plunging. But uh, do, are we going to see it? 
who knows? We could just, I mean, almost the worst case scenario for us, Josh, is that it stays really boring and nobody wants to pay attention to it. So, <laughs> but that could happen. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're seeing on the economic front, a few things play out right now. And so the first thing, I think it's pretty obvious we're seeing unemployment numbers come down. The, the unemployment rate is coming down, but we're still at an elevated level today. Even though a lot of people have been back to work over the last 12 months, we're still seeing an elevated level. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, the unemployment rate was running around 5.7%. It's now about 8% today. So that, that, you know, you look at, okay, that's only a couple percentage points, but that's a couple percentage points across in Canada, 35 million people plus. So that's a, a pretty big number of people that you should see going back to work in some capacity. But that to me is going to be something that takes a long time to play out, don't you think? Well, yeah, no, and I think the, the, again, measuring anything in one dimension is, is going to not necessarily give you the whole picture. There's labor force participation, there's the makeup of the labor force, there's part-time versus full-time. There's all the kinds of different ways to cut it. But again, you know, to, to my to my comments earlier, we've seen a real dislocation in the economy. So people who are maybe stuck in dead-end jobs or jobs they didn't like, they just got a boot in the pants and an opportunity to go do something else, and maybe they did. So this is the great do-over. And, you know, people are going to choose to do over their careers. They're going to choose to do over a lot of their financial things. I'm not nearly smart enough to, to figure out exactly how that's all going to play out. Therefore, the tumult is it will ensue. Right. Yeah. So I guess similar to the unemployment rate coming down, we've also seen pretty extreme GDP growth over the last 12 months or so. But so GDP growth usually is measured over a 12-month span. So when we think of what was happening 12 months ago that we're seeing all this growth, well, basically nothing was happening 12 months ago because we were all at home locked in our in our uh, cells, if I will call it that, and uh, not being able to go out much, not being able to spend much. Certainly here in Ontario we were. I know you'll, you'll probably rub it in again about uh, Nova Scotia. But for me, this GDP growth thing, it's it's mostly about a base effect and not so much that we're growing you know faster than we ever have it's more so well we we experienced one of the deepest recessions that we ever have last year right well yeah and and, and this is actually a, the, <laughs> professor white is now here this is really really important to 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 really drill into your head when you look at a one-year number take a look at what was going on a year ago because the industry in order to get your attentions when they play their games of you know, whole snakes and ladders are going to try to find really dramatic one-year numbers. And, you know, I've heard it referred to as endpoint bias. You know, there's lots of different ways to, to, to look at it. But again, anything you look at in one dimension is not going to give you enough information to make any kind of conclusion on. And I think this is another beautiful case of that. But it's a lesson that applies to lots of other things. Please don't forget that. If you're writing down, if you're taking notes, take that as a note. Take Anytime you see a one-year number, the follow-up question is, what was going on a year ago? And then what was, what's the three-year number? You know, ask more questions to put things in context. Right. And what we've seen in North America, some of the, the data coming through over the last few weeks, is that we may have seen peak growth in North America for, for this cycle, this business cycle. And so what that means is we saw the acceleration happen so quickly 
after last year. We're in the doldrums last year. The last 12 months, we've accelerated so quickly, which is awesome. But now we're starting to slow down a little bit in terms of the acceleration. Now, that doesn't mean we're going backwards. It's, it's a little bit like sort of driving on the highway, right? We were basically at a dead stop a year ago. And we were on the highway, got, got past that crash, whatever it was. And we've been accelerating very, very rapidly up to 100 over the last 12 months. Now we're, we're kind of getting to a bit more of a steady state. So we're, we're, we're just uh, you know, hitting the brakes a little bit and our acceleration is slowing. We're still going fast, we're still growing, but that acceleration is slowing and that could, could mean some changes uh, as we go forward here as well. So let's go back to my game of whole snakes and ladders. If I'm writing a headline with that, I would say that you know, GDP growth has slowed to the slowest rate in the last 10 years. What? It's the lowest number in 10 years. Yes, but to your point, Josh, we're still moving at a really high speed. <laughs> but <laughs> I have seen this growth number used to try to grab headlines like that, where they reference exactly what you're talking about. GDP growth has slowed. Yes, we're still traveling at highway speed. We're still fine. We're still on course. But again, that's the kind of headline that you can use to really garner some attention and then try to scare somebody into doing something that's in the best interest of the person writing the article. Exactly, exactly. So the other thing, we did a whole podcast on inflation, Colin, but that's another <laughs> thing that's topical that the reopening trade uh, could affect economically. Isn't that right? Well, again, it's going to be uneven, right? So you know, we have surpluses in some areas and real shortages in others. And when we measure, when we talk about inflation largely from an investment perspective, we're looking at the net number. Well, I think there's going to be two different extremes. My order at Tim Hortons is now like a full dollar more than it was, to call it, 12 months ago. So I used to go in and be able to get my full breakfast at Tim Hortons for $7.58. Well, this morning I was in and it was $7.60. So, and that's in the period of now, yes, my patterns are that solid. I can tell you what that same breakfast costs in BC, in the Toronto airport, the Halifax airport. Yes, I keep track of these things. So in my world, my, my breakfast sandwich inflation is really, really high, you know. So it you know, really depends on how you slice it. We're going to talk about it. The, the world's going to talk about overall inflation. And again, I haven't seen anybody smart enough to figure out all of the, the, the two sides of this, the stuff that's going to get dramatically cheaper and the stuff that's going to get dramatically more expensive. Yeah. And just to validate for all of our listeners, Colin really is that consistent with his morning routine. When I've lived with him, which we've probably spent uh, at least a few weeks living together over the last uh, couple of years. It's the same thing at Tim Hortons, same order. I, I could order it for him every morning. He'd be a happy man. Um, it, it reminds me of, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's this some, the, something called the Big Mac index where they measure the price of a Big Mac across different countries around the world mm -hmm. to see uh, the relative prices of, of different countries um, relative to the amount of income that they have. It's, they're measuring something called purchasing power in those countries. And you could do the same thing with the Tim Hortons breakfast index across Canada. Give, give me a budget. I, I will plot the, the Tim Hortons index all across Canada and internationally wherever Tim Hortons exists. I can do that too for you. <laughs> so th this inflation thing is similar to what I was talking about before with the base effects where you're measuring it from. Right, because last year prices came down. When people stopped buying things, demand dried up, prices came down because there was this massive oversupply of everything aside from maybe toilet paper at the time. Mm 
and chicken. I think we had a shortage of chicken at the time as well. But so now we're measuring inflation over that that low 12 month ago number. And actually, so last week, and this is a real number, some of the numbers that came out said that we were at a 29 or a 30 year high for inflation statistics. But last year we were probably at one of the lowest inflation or deflation statistics in a long time as well. So you have to keep that, as you call it, endpoint bias or starting point bias in mind when you're measuring these things. And the bizarre thing, we're talking about expectations today, but the bizarre thing last week was inflation. We had this number, this print that was the highest in 30 years and interest rates went down, which nobody would have predicted based off of that. So we're talking about the expectations game, which is what investing is all about. And what that is saying is that maybe the expectations were higher than what was actually printed. So higher than the 30 year high and expectations were even higher than that. Uh, and the second thing is maybe when you pull apart some layers of that onion and look under the hood a little bit, which we talk about all the time, looking under the hood, making sure you understand exactly what's going on. You talked about it with the unemployment numbers. Maybe when you do that with the inflation numbers, there's there's not as much cause for concern there. So it really is an expectations game. Well, it goes back to you know all you highfalutin CFAs that have done all your courses and stuff and done all of your correlation analysis and stuff. And I'm still waiting for a correlation, a, a study to show me that correlations are predictive. You know, we, we can go back through all the periods of history and take a look at how inflation and interest rates have moved in lockstep. But, you know, again, it's, it's not for sure. And this is why we're always really slow to draw firm conclusions because, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out exactly the same. You know, to, the, the big overlay we have right now is this global pandemic. You know, so any period in history that you try to find that's similar to this, you know, I, I would suggest that you're not going to find a relevant period in history that's got the same combination of technology and, and global cooperation and you know a global stress, you know, all at the same time. Now, again, that doesn't mean there's no uh, virtue to, to trying to find some sense in the chaos, but just be really careful about drawing any kind of firm conclusions about this is absolutely what we have to do because, you know, I think we're going to continue to be surprised like this, Josh. Yeah, well, I, that's maybe the understatement of, of the year for sure. And the last time we had a global pandemic, most people will say was was the 19, uh, 1910s with the Spanish flu. And I think things were a little bit different back then. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Well, this is true. This is true. Yeah, I don't right. think you get the hair products that you're using now. <laughs> neither, neither of us could. So we're also talking a little bit about uh, this being an uneven recovery, and you've you've been kind of pounding the table on this. It's not going to be a straight line forward. So if you're talking to people and and they're asking you, you know, what they should expect with the recovery for the next couple of years, what what would you say in terms of the the even or unevenness of this? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Expect it to be uneven. Don't get too caught up in it. I hear different antidotes from different, you know, authorities at different points in time, and they stick with me for different reasons. And <laughs> oddly enough, this reminds me of a story told by one of the longest-serving prisoner of war uh, during the Korean conflict. And 
you know, this person survived, I forget the figure. It was like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years in, 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 as a prisoner of war and made it out. And all kinds of people went to the same prison camp and did not survive. And they, they were talking about their experience. And they said, well, one of the things that they feel, and again, they're not sure because they're just not sure, that the people who came in who struggled were the ones who said, okay, by Christmas, things will be better. Or by Easter, I'll be home. Or by the end of the year, they, they set a really firm expectation. And when they got disappointed for the fifth or sixth time, it really, really kind of broke their soul. And, you know, this person's attitude was, I wake up every day. I tried to make the best of this day. And whatever tomorrow brings, tomorrow brings. Now, again, that's a little bit Pollyanna, you know, pie in the sky kind of crap. But I think that that's you know, going to be a really good way, you know, to to deal with you know, this, this recovery. I mean, don't, don't hang your hat on any one moment in time or any one event, you know, that's, that's going to make things dramatically better and really quick. Is this going to be one of those real slow things? Like we're, you know, progress is going to be made slowly. You're going to gradually evolve into something and don't get too angry. Don't get too disappointed. Don't get too happy. I mean, we can see another variant. We used to know the variant that sets us back, you know, we, 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 that, that could happen. You know, so, but again, if it happens, like science, science will figure this out. Science figured the last one out, you know. So just, again, don't get too far one side or the other because the news is going to change. And keep in mind the people trying to get your eyeballs are going to try to dig the hole, throw in the snakes, put the ladder in. Yeah. I wish I had have been able to take that advice early on when this thing started. I'm sure I've made that mistake of, of having a mental end date more often than once over this period of time. But we're, so we're talking about, yeah, it's going to be uneven in terms of the pace, right? Yep. Some days are going to be more positive than others, some months more positive than others. But also it's going to be uneven in terms of the different industries or businesses that actually kind of recover out of this, right? No, absolutely. I mean, the from a recovery, if we take a look from starting from zero, I mean, I think the restaurant industry is probably going to be the one that shows the most dramatic potential, has the potential to show some of the more dramatic growth. And right after that will be some of the hospitality uh, names in Canada. Um, and then, you know, global travel, you know, those, those are the kinds of things that they're, they're starting from the lowest point. So I think that they're, you're going to see those have the, you know, potentially post some of the stronger year-over-year -year numbers um, that are going to get reported and talked about a lot. There's, but there's a lot, Josh, there's a lot of industries that are struggling to keep up with, with current demand. The chip industry is causing a huge issue in auto manufacturing. I still don't have my PlayStation 5. You know, so there, there are industries, you know, trying to, to, to get through some real problems. And I don't think there's any clarity on when some of these supply chain issues are going to be resolved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the automobile thing is interesting because you have basically finished vehicles that are just parked in these these massive parking lots. I don't know if you've seen any of these pictures. There's just thousands on thousands of vehicles just parked there, waiting, waiting for these chips that will hopefully get worked out soon. Uh, and this, I guess, goes goes back to some of the inflation stuff that we've seen as well, right? There's a shortage of certain components or goods out there and that's driving up prices but hopefully once people get back to work businesses get reopened some of these supply chain issues will work, will work themselves out and that's going to smooth out some of these inflation statistics smooth out some of the deliveries of these goods and all that type of thing 
Well, this is also a real big indictment of the just-in-time people, like the people who you know, try to run super efficient businesses with no slack. And to a large extent, the globe rewards that. You, know, you get rewarded for running a very lean operation. You know, whether it's there's all kinds of consultants out there talking about how lean you can run, but you know, it, it leaves you open to these kind of disruptions. One one ripple can you know disrupt a lot of things for a long period of time, and getting everything kind of back in simpatico that it's everything's moving as it should. That could take some time, and I, I do think it's going to be very stop and go because as soon as one thing comes back online, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to have to come back online because it's so interconnected. Uh, now, again, I don't know what lessons are going to get learned as we go through this as to whether organizations will, will set themselves up to be a little bit more robust because, again, that can be less efficient. Um, so we may put ourselves right back in the same boat. But right now we're dealing with a very interconnected global system that was very fragile and there's a lot of ripples that have gone through it. And getting that all sorted out is not going to be by the end of the summer. Yeah, I, I would kind of push back on that a bit. I don't know if it was very fragile. It took a global pandemic to kind of expose some links in this. I think for sure you could say that, you know, maybe we were over-reliant on, on one specific company to provide good X, but to say the whole system was very fragile, I think that's that's a step way too far. Well, no, and, and that's fair, but I think we could go back and I'm not prepared for the argument because I know I need all my facts in line to, to take them to you, but the articles I read over time where you've seen individual industries get significantly disrupted, and a lot of it has to do with their, their just-in-time, like, you know, the, the steel's coming in the back of the plant as the car's going up the front of the plant, and there's, you know, 40,000 pieces from one end to the other that have to get at it, and they're all showing up just as they're needed. Um, you know, again, that kind of thinking, super efficient, leads to very low cost producing, but, you know, if there's a a tornado hits the wrong part of Texas, or if there's a tsunami goes ashore somewhere in the, you know, wherever, you know, again, you're, you're right. You know, the, 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 we've survived these things in the past, but again, this, this is going to be something that it's a little bit more fine tuned and getting things up and running again. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see sort of what results from this pandemic are permanent and which ones are, are transitory. And it's really hard to predict that right now. I think if you look at, okay, are we going to need less office space going forward? I, I'm pretty reasonably confident that I could say yes. Like not everybody's going to go back to the office full time. I don't think I'm going too far out there to say that, but you're already seeing some businesses relocate their manufacturing facilities or something along those lines where that seems to be a bit more tangible and a bit more permanent of a, of a change coming out of this, uh, the pandemic here. So the, 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 I guess there's gonna be some real permanent disruptions and some things will probably go back to normal and it's gonna be really interesting to see what falls on, on either side of the spectrum there. Oh no, absolutely. And you know, it's this is, is a do-over. I, I keep using that expression, but companies are now taking a closer look because like, look, having all these employees work this close together was a business risk that maybe we didn't really understand all that well. So what can we do with automation or redesigning our manufacturing so that we no longer, you know, have that as a risk? And, you know, it used to be that there probably have to be a very substantial gain in order for a company to invest in something. I think the bar has moved a little bit as to what they're calling a substantial gain in order to invest in their business. Uh, because, again, you know, the, the fear is going forward now that this is out there. Uh, recency bias is going to have us planning for the next pandemic for the next 10 to 15 years. 
Um, yeah. Even though they only tend to happen once every hundred, but you know, welcome to the human condition. Um, and you know, getting sitting here today, I didn't do as good in science school as some of the the doctors did, who, who were taught telling us that you know we could see variants for the next couple of years who could be very problematic. So again, it's I think it's moving the bar for companies and industries when they're deciding how to invest and what they're going to do next. It definitely has nudged them in a, in a direction of automation. Yeah. Well, I. I think, can you imagine a business trying to say, you know what, we don't need any commercial real or office real estate anymore. We're just going to shut down all of our offices. Everyone will work from home pre-COVID. No, no business ever could have done that. So no. it is a bit of a kick in the pants for businesses to look at things a little bit differently, reconsider what they're doing and, and maybe uh, move the, the needle a little bit. So this is where we have to talk about our faith in humankind and how we take advantage in a smart way of opportunities presented to us and don't piss it up against the wall. Do we have to have that conversation now? Uh, I think that goes without saying. We, we just came up with a vaccine for for uh, this this virus within, I don't know, how long was it? 12 months? Less than 12 months? Nine months? So after that, I have faith in human ingenuity to get us through just about anything. All I know is that the day they canceled hockey season was the day that Canada sequenced the DNA for the for the, the, the virus and sent it off to people to say, here, fix this. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> once you canceled hockey, you had our full attention. Yeah, no doubt. So you mentioned some of the, the areas of the world, the markets, the industries that will uh, probably accelerate quickest out of this. Restaurants, hospitality, tourism. Why shouldn't I just throw all of my investments into these buckets right now? Oh, I thought we were gonna do a whole separate podcast on this. <laughs> because you don't know what a good investment is. Look, just because something oh jeez. You you specifically planted this to get me wound up, didn't you? Just because did, something is happening. I have, I have to admit, I knew I was gonna get you wound up. It's 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 a Monday morning. I, I knew I had to start the week off right for you, Colin. Just because something's happening doesn't make it a good investment. Marijuana happened. That didn't make it a good investment. High steel prices have happened. High lumber prices have happened. That doesn't make it a good investment. A good investment is when you find a company who's doing something profitably, and if you're lucky, you find a price dislocation where you can pick it up at a discount to its true value and invest. I can go through our track record of finding money in places like chicken, restaurants during the pandemic. You know, all kinds of things that had no top line big story. It's like, you know, ooh, restaurants reopening. That must be a good investment. I'm going to go buy them all. Some of them are still going to go bankrupt. Some of them have mortgaged the farm. Some of them have, they're, they're just zombie companies that are just hanging on till the next stimulus check shows up. You have to look under the hood. You can't just say, oh, they're open. I'm going to buy some shares in that. No, just stop. Put your phone down. Go for a walk. Pat your dog, hug your kid, do something else. So you're worked out. Josh. <laughs> All right, deal. Next time, I'm, I'm going to get my turn. Uh, just, just be warned. Yeah. So just to unpack some of those ideas that, that you just ranted about there. So it, it comes back to an expectations game because the one thing that you mentioned there that I think a lot of people forget is that it, you have to be able to, when you're making an investment, you have to be able to find that price dislocation where you're buying something that's worth a dollar for 80 cents 
And if a restaurant, if everybody knows that this restaurant is going to reopen in a month or two months from now, and people are really, really excited about that, that asset that's a dollar may not be worth a dollar or may not be priced at a dollar today. It might be priced at a dollar 20. And the fact that it's going to reopen and become more profitable tomorrow than it was last year, that still doesn't make it a good investment. Because when you're investing, you're investing for the full future of that business, not the next six months, not the next 12 months, for the next 10, 15, 20 plus years. And that means that if you have great growth over the next 12 months, but putrid growth going out further than that, not a good investment, most likely. But Josh, I mean, if somebody really wants to buy in a company, they really want to buy a share, they should call us at 1-800. Are you out of your mind? Why are you still listening to me? No, <laughs> don't take the, it's because somebody is going to come to you and say, hey, here's a great restaurant investment because restaurants are opening. I'll guarantee you, you're going to see that somewhere or something like it, or you're going to get a phone call. Yeah, now, now I think I'm done. Yeah. So some of the, these trends, though, I think are, are real. So some of the things that we're, we're seeing happen today, we probably do think are a little bit more persistent going forward. Like the interest rate thing that we were talking about, even though maybe it's a little bit overdone and expectations are a little bit ahead of themselves in the shorter term, we still do feel that interest rates will continue to climb higher over the next couple of years. And that, that's, for, that's for reasons outside of just this reopening pandemic free trade though. Well, no, there's, there's a global alignment of interest there. And virtually every government on the planet and all the major companies wanna see a measure of inflation right now because it's the least painful way out of the debt imbalance that we've kind of found ourselves in. So I always look for those global alignment of interests. When the whole world is unified and wanting something, we tend to step-by-step step move in that direction. And, and to Josh's point, there are all kinds of really good economic reasons other than that. But I, I do think that you're right. There's some trends here that are going to persist. And I don't know that they're necessarily opportunities to take advantage of. They're just, again, we, we nudge our boat in one direction or the other based on where we think the tide's moving. And, you know, increasing interest rates, yeah, that's a thing. There's a whole bunch of reasons behind it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean, oh, then we shouldn't be in any fixed income. You know, that's not our opinion. Um, but it is a trend that needs to be watched and monitored. But no, it's not apocalyptic. And no, it doesn't represent the end of humankind. It's just a thing. Yeah, so aside from the interest rate thing that we think is a bit more sustainable there, are there any other examples that, that you would provide that things that you think may be a little bit more persistent going forward for the next few years that's maybe not directly tied to this reopening trade that we're talking about? Well, I, again, I think we're going to see some persistent pressure on housing. I, I think that you know this has dramatically moved the marketplace with regards to people's expectations and people's you know uh, ability to take advantage of different types of housing. And I think that that goes right back into commercial real estate. So that may take longer to play out because those are very slow assets. So that, that's a very slow marketplace to react to demand. Um, and in a rising interest rate environment, that's a bit you know problematic for, the, for them to get the capital maybe to make some of the changes that we'll see. But again, I don't, we're not gonna wake up tomorrow and hey, you know, there's trees growing all over downtown Toronto. You know, it's, it's not gonna happen you know, overnight for sure. 
But I think if you sit and measure it with a with a tape measure over the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you're, that's a trend I think you're going to see persist. Um, here in the People's Republic of Nova Scotia, we got a lot of you come from away showing up, um, like from all over the place, Lord Tundran. Um, so yeah, we've noticed a change for sure. And, and I do think that that's going to persist. Um, because again, the people, it's this whole do-over mentality. People now realize that I don't need to be in the rat race. The other rats realize we don't need you here. You know, we can still have the race, only we're going to do it remotely. And you know, so I, I think that the whole real estate, both uh, residential and commercial, is, is going to trend in a direction that, again, I'm not all that confident in drawing a graph saying where it's going to end up, but I do think that those changes are going to persist. Yeah, I, I think if you see any trends that were kind of in place pre-pandemic that were maybe accelerated or slowed down from the pandemic, I, I think you'll you'll probably see a continuation of, of those. And I, I'm glad you mentioned commercial real estate because the one that comes to mind for me is the retail space. And yeah. retailers for a long time were really struggling, the, the bricks and mortar retailers, because people, there wasn't, there just wasn't as much mall traffic, traffic to the physical stores because people were doing things online. And that was in turn impacting sort of the retail real estate space, like uh, the mall operators and things like that. So I think that trend's going to continue and, and maybe COVID has just accelerated it and we're going to continue to see the ripple effects of that going forward. It'll be interesting to see. Now, completely opposite of that anecdotally, when I was walking around this last weekend in, in Toronto outside my place, there were people lined up at these retail outlets, hundreds of people long. And I was just looking at all these people thinking, don't you know that you can buy this stuff all online? You do not need to line up for an hour to get into the store. But hey, it's uh, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Well, all I heard you say, Josh, is we should take all of our money and put it in Amazon because obviously that's going to be a good investment. <laughs> That's what you took away from that, right? Maybe we need to strike this from the records because that's that's another one where it comes back to the expectations game. And actually, I'm glad you brought, brought up technology, Colin, because that was another one that I had highlighted as, okay, yes, the technology trend is going to continue. It hasn't slowed down at all, but some of the expectations are so far ahead of themselves now with the technology companies that you're counting on trillion dollar companies growing at 10% per year for the next 10, 15 years, which possible, yes, probable, I don't think so. Well, I think it goes back to that inflation thing. If we see inflation, maybe, but again, and I, I, I can't quote the source on this, but it was just a funny story about, you know, if, if Walmart's valuation was gonna to get to the same level as Amazon, they would have to have 100% market share on two Earth-sized planets in order for them to, to, to oh, sorry, that's Amazon sales would have to equal 100% of the marketplace on two Earth-sized planets before right. their earnings multiple would be the equivalent to Walmart. You know, so that I thought was a great expect, and I didn't check the math, but it sounds pretty close. But that's the expectation. In order for some of these companies to continue to grow at the forecasted rates, we better get another planet habitated and put, put 7 billion people on there in a hurry. Otherwise, they're going to run out of clients. Well, Elon Musk is working on it. So I guess uh, we have to thank for that. Well, we're safe. So I, I guess the last thing, and, and we'll probably end it on this here. 
generally speaking, when the economy is growing, whether it's at a fast rate, whether it's at a slightly slower rate, above average, average, slightly below average, it's generally a good thing for stocks. We usually only see really bad environments for stocks when we have a recession. That's an economy shrinking. Now, having said that, this doesn't mean that there's never going to be a 5 or 10% pullback. Don't call me three months from now and say, hey, the market's down 10%. You said this is a good environment for stocks. Yeah, it can go down 10% and still be in a good investment environment for stocks. So that's sort of our, our general belief right now. But again, uh, don't be knocking on our door if, if things are a little bit more volatile than that. The Farmer's Almanac tells you it's going to be a, a good sunny summer and it rains one day. Don't call the people that wrote the Almanac. Day to day, things are going to be different. That doesn't change an overarching trend. So, as most of the time we do these things, Josh, you know, could be this, could be that. Reopening. It's a thing. Uh, but we were completely devoid of any kind of a, a, a hole digging, snake throwing, or ladder putting uh, exercise in this because, again, there's nothing here that you can really, you really need to run out and react to today, right? Yeah, not immediately, not wholeheartedly. All of the these pieces of information are really just that pieces to the overall puzzle and none, none of these things individually should should influence your total investment strategy or financial approach go enjoy your summer This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us.